I've always felt like, why run a module? Because it's so constricting. That's why I game, or it's why I DM, is to give voice to my creative side. I decided to run a module, just kind of on a lark, to see what it would be like. And it's completely changed everything about the way that I I feel about modules. And I don't know that I'll ever not run one. Again, I'm sure that I will do a lot of creative content making myself, but it's really changed everything about the way I view DMing. So we'll get into it as we go on. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Alien Familiar RPG Podcast. I am Clayton. I'm Jordan. And I'm Elliot. And before we get started, you can find show notes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash alienfamiliarmedia. And if you would like to help the show with with supporting it, you can do so at patreon.com slash alienfamiliarmedia, where any help you would be able to give us would be greatly appreciated. Uh, thank you for joining us. We have a returning friend, Elliot, joining us for today's topic. Um, Elliot, thanks for coming back on with us. My pleasure. You, you put it. You put it rather nicely. I, I kind of begged my way back on. <laughs> so uh, one of the conditions of you coming back onto the podcast was you had to supply the uh, the topic for today. So today we are going to be talking about running modules, the pros and cons of it how best to do it, how is making a module or running a module any better or worse than creating your own scenarios. So before we get into this, let's just kind of talk about our experiences with modules. I've been doing modules since third edition in one form or another, um, not consistently, but I've, I've probably done about maybe 25% of the stuff that I've run has been either directly from a module or at least inspired by a module. Um, how about the rest of you? I have run very few modules, straining to remember any. I ran a some Star Wars module or part of it at one point, but I didn't run the whole thing all the way through. I mostly just like ripped out some stuff. What else? Any others? Not that comes to mind. I usually write things from scratch and I'll go through modules and try to find like useful bits to incorporate in some other stuff. But as far as cover to cover, I don't know if I've ever done that. Well, um, you know, the reason I recommended it is obviously because right now I've kind of been, I've been running them for the first time. And, you know, I came of age, I think me and Jordan pretty much started playing around the same time. And I remember personally, I just kind of felt like they were like a cheater way or a less... I really had a negative opinion of running modules and even people who run modules, so it was really something I intentionally avoided. But, uh, you know, my over the years, I've role-played in fits and starts and often running them, playing in several. And, uh, you know, recently with the COVID, uh, I put together a game that was custom-made, a World of Darkness game, which, you know, was fun. And uh, it just kind of petered out at, at around session eight as I just ran out of creativity. And re- recently jumping into a game with you guys and a couple of others, I decided to run a module uh, to avoid that, just kind of on a lark to see what it would be like. And it's completely changed everything about the way that I, I feel about modules. And I don't know that I'll ever not run one again. I, I'm sure that I w- will do a lot of creative content making myself, but really changed everything about the way I view DMing. So we'll get into it as we go on. We've just we've just been focusing on being DMs for modules. What about as players of modules? Um, how how do you feel like about that? Because Jordan, you you may not have run modules, but you've definitely been in them because you've been in some games that I've ran I've ran that were either based on a module or had pieces of the adventures pulled from modules how how has that been like have you noticed that okay this is a point where clayton is going just from a module versus this is stuff that clayton created on his own could could you tell a difference apparently not because i can't recall what you're talking about (laughs) what uh what games did you run um that had module material in it well in our abena game the entirety of the uh the first um well, the, the dungeon where you went in and uh, had the army was outside and then you, oh, you defeated the evil. army. And the, um, well, actually, that was based on uh, the Tomb of Horrors. Or Tomb of Horrors, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
the module of all modules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I could tell the difference there just because you never run like really like dungeon crawly kinds of games or rarely do. Um, and that is, you know, the granddaddy of dungeon crawls, I guess. But um, yeah, I guess it shows up um, when you start asking weird questions and you can normally tell if it's something that somebody threw together they're probably just gonna have to sit there and improvise for a minute and if it's you know premium material of course it's like give me just a second to look that up and then there's a fully detailed answer that with maps and pictures and whatever else you know i don't know that i i don't know that i've ever played in a module maybe in the way back uh, beyond my memory uh, in the early days but uh you know just racking my brain i really don't think i've ever played at a table where someone ran enough module content or even a module itself it's i've only had the player perspective of someone who's making it from scratch it was a really early experience for me now that i'm thinking about it like back uh when i first started playing second edition D D, I remember playing in some dragonlance modules that the comic shop owner at the place um do you ever meet elliot remember that guy oh yeah i remember yeah yeah um that and like twilight 2000 he ran a couple of uh modules with that stuff but i i think it was modules if i remember properly but yeah it's one of those things that just totally went by the wayside when third edition came out we were playing with a lot of original content through all those years i think a lot of people uh at least this has been true in my experience you know i like to think of role-playing games you know as an art form and I really do feel like it's a very valid form of personal expression. And so there's a part of me that's always felt like that with role-playing games and DMing especially being a creative outlet for me. I've always felt like, why run a module? Because it's so constricting. That's why I game, or it's why I DM, is to give voice to my you know, creative side. And so that's why I think I'm such a late adopter in my, you know, I think I've been playing now for 20, 25 years, some off and on, and, and it took that long for me to even consider running a module. Why did you consider running a module after all that time? Well, I mean, to solve the problem of the eight-session peter out. Um, you know, <laughs> the uh, you know the world of, I had a, I really was in, when we started playing, it was mainly to get our minds off of COVID, me anyway. And so I approached a, a group that I play with online, because we had stopped playing and it had been a while since anybody had gotten together. And I was like, hey, you know, everybody shut in. You want to run Jordan's uh, World of Darkness game, you know? Because back in the day, a, a fairly fun and memorable game was when we all made ourselves in World of Darkness and we placed ourselves in the uh, in a zombie apocalypse in our hometown. And uh, so I adopted that and ran it. And though we didn't make ourselves, but I told people to make average Joes. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I just kind of stole Jordan's material. <laughs> Um, at at least for the first couple sessions, and it was super fun, as games all are. But about session eight, um, I ran I ran out a lot of juice. The players weren't really going. The players had some issues cohe you know with cohesion, and so there was a couple dynamics about the party that were just kind of uninspiring. I guess in a way it was a bit murder hobo ish, and um, so anywho, uh, I just noticed that my interest was waning and I approached somebody else to run a game. So now somebody else is running with the same group and running their own game. But I guess the itch wasn't completely scratched. So I approached you guys and a couple of newbies who had been after me to, 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 to fire up their first gaming experience. They wanted to have a first gaming experience. So it occurred to me that why not just run the, the, the D and D five E recommended intro minds of, I think it's minds of Fandelver. And so I was like, well, hey, you know, it's the new players, and this is for new players. So I, I ran it, and I really enjoyed it. And then that just led me to my other idea. I was like, well, this has been pretty fun. It's helping. I can tell that it's keeping my creative my creative side going, and it doesn't feel too bad as far as, like, oppressing my creative side. So I was like, why not run Ravenloft? <laughs> so as you guys know, I've been pretty open about the fact that I enjoyed running the mines so much that I really wanted to have that an experience in Ravenloft, having played so long and never played it myself. And so, yeah, that's what we're doing now. We're running Curse of Strahd, and uh, it's just been a revelation for me, and I hope you guys are having fun. Uh, and, yeah, it's been great. I'm having a blast. 
yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Even though I have read a little bit of the material, I actually started running a Curse of Strahd game more than a year ago, but we are past the point in the game now where that game ran out. Last year, whenever I started running it, we didn't even get to Valaki, and that's the second town you come to in in Curse of Strahd. So um, everything, I'm, there are a few pieces that I I vaguely remember, like I remembered the thing about the Dream Pies, but most of the other stuff, I'm I'm not really able to remember too much about it because it's been a year, and Curse of Strahd is such a big setting to play in that there's so many different pieces to it that i mean after a year there's i would forget pretty much anything you know i've you know in in the back really and another reason why i wanted to run curses strahd um was because i I wanted more time because i i do have a world and as you guys know the i've situated curses strahd in a homebrew world that i have been generate generating content and history for uh in my spare time for years and years and so really i wanted to run curse of strahd to buy myself a little more time to organize all the different disconnected fiction that i've written over the years into a cohesive storyline to really end the session order so in my mind at first it was like well i want to run my world the right way like i've always wanted to so i need some time to get it that way and then once i started looking in because i'd never even read the strahd book and once I'd already committed to doing it, I found out that most people get through it in 20 to 22 sessions, which don't know I've ran a game that went longer than 22 sessions. So it's kind of changed my focus in a way. And But I will say one reason why using modules is really good is it's really easy on new for new players to learn a system. Uh, I think that because it's weird, our dynamic, we have you two who are extremely experienced, more experienced than I am, for sure, uh, as far as keeping a game and staying in gaming. Um, someone like me who's kind of off and on, and then two brand new, never rolled a dice. And so I felt like the learning curve for them, especially starting with a one to five, which if you're running Strahd and that's something you're interested in, it comes with a, a, one, to, a one to three entry module, which maybe in hindsight I would have done instead, called the uh, Death House. But I, I'm glad we went through uh, Mines. Because I think it's made, you know, a, a module for people who are interested in starting a game, it makes it so much easier. And if I can think of, if I were a new DM, I would find everything so overwhelming. Having the mines or any entry level module would just really, def- it would really make or break whether or not me and my players had fun and liked gaming or not. So what, what, do you, what would you guys think about, think back to your first gaming experiences and if they were good or bad were they modules were they not a lot of them were um and and a lot of them were also in pre-existing settings um like i was saying with like dragon lance and stuff like that and um i think the advantage to that over a homebrew um i mean on kind of a macro level it's probably best to introduce people to an existing setting because it's already fleshed out so much you know there's no risk of like you're you're sold this idea in Dungeons and Dragons that you can do whatever you want. But if you sit down with a DM who's slapped together a world and maybe has stuff already worked out everywhere, maybe just has, you know, a general idea and, you know, a couple towns, but there's a whole lot of, you know, white space on the map. If you do something unexpected, which is almost guaranteed, you kind of run the risk of like running off the map and it it shows a lot. And, you know, a lot of times it'll be like, okay, what are you guys going to do next session? And you give a destination and it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll slap something together over this week and, you know, have content there for you to experience. But when you've got a pre-existing world and then on, you know, more zoomed in level, have a pre-existing scenario that you're playing through, it's sort of reassuring in a way because, you know, I, I don't like putting undue stress on a DM, you know, as a player. I like having fun and I want everybody else to have fun. And, you know, but I often want to go off and do wacky shit in some random direction that strikes my fancy. And um, it's nice to know that there's going to be stuff there and it's not going to cause anybody uh, any improv stress to come up with some random shit that 
may or may not actually fit together and make sense. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, modules are really good like for learning a new system. And that's not just whenever you're just learning to role play for the first time. Like anytime there is a new system that you want to play, I would advise at least reading over some sort of an introductory module. Um, I did that whenever I did the Knights Black Agents game we played um, several months ago. I that was a module that was in the back of that book. The first uh, the first half of that that scenario was um, all the stuff that we have that we did in Eastern Europe was was a module. So using a module to learn a system just takes the creative um, cre- takes the creative burden off the DM to create all of the material and allow them to just focus on the mechanics that they need to learn in order to run a new system that they're not familiar with. One thing that um, I definitely feel like this is almost like a low key. The first thing that comes to my mind is like, this is kind of a low key pitch that Jordan, maybe we, uh, maybe we ought to collaborate for uh, an apocalyptia module because that's so true. Uh, It, it, it really got me back in the saddle for 5th edition because having run the World of Darkness game, I had played for two pretty long-running sessions over the course of maybe two years, two long-running campaigns, but I hadn't ran 5th edition in, well, since the last time I played with you guys, and and that was a one-shot maybe two years ago, and then I ran maybe 10 sessions about six months before that, so it had been two and a half years since I really got in the DM's chair in 5th edition, and there's a lot of dust, especially when you get used to playing with people who uh, have different uh, philosophies on how familiar with the rules they're going to be to run a game. You know what I mean? There's always that. I've played with a lot of DMs who are very uh, willy-nilly about rules in general. Not that they weren't fun or they didn't have a command over it. It's just that uh, there are some DMs who really like to hold fast to the rules and some DMs who like to get that out of the way so they can generate content. And... Uh, you know, it really helped me get back in the saddle for sure. Man, I'd love to collaborate on a module for Apocalyptic. It's one of the like big missing pieces to this game, as far as I'm concerned. For for my game, is that you know I've got these predefined scenarios, and you know they're they're just kind of like a template to put on the existing you know the default post-apocalyptic world. I built it as like a a game kit without any storyline or anything attached. No, like explicitly no predefined setting with characters and locations and whatever. Um, just very generic stuff that you can drop in. But my, you know, dream is to one day have like a really solid module for each one of the different scenarios. You know, the, zombies and robots and aliens and whatever the fuck yeah getting back in the saddle i think i've had two very different experiences though that serve two good purposes you know i obviously we've talked about why i ran fandelver but really the reason why i mean once i got in the habit and i was like oh i tasted it a little bit i was like this module this module thing it's pretty cool then i started looking for like what would be just a fun tasty module to run that that is just enjoyable and i definitely uh, have found myself opening up a whole new doors in my uh, experience. It's really added a whole new level of enjoyment to running because when you run a big uh, popular module, and I mean these days that's just about any module, is going to build a community. There's a whole community of Strahd uh, DMs who like to, to fill in the gaps. And I, looking back on it, I found that Fandelver's the same way. So just in... It makes it a much better experience as a DM because if you're struggling with something or if you're finding something weak, next thing you know, you open a door to a whole world of people who also love that module and are and are walking the same path as you. And, and that's been a really fun just community to participate in. Are there like speed runs? <laughs> are people doing stuff like that? There's definitely live plays that I don't know that there's speed runs, but there's a whole bunch of... I know there's a podcast that I'm listening through. Uh, there's even one game that's being run right now on uh, they 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 broadcast it on YouTube or Twitch or whatever, and they've invited Matt Mercer, the DM. I guess knows him somehow or whatever, but he he's he is Strahd. So uh, 
any time that he gets with the DM, the DM gets with him and schedules a time whenever uh, Stroud's going to show up, and they know they know it's hit the fan whenever all of a sudden Matt Mercer queues up in the video chat. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's one of the main strengths of the published modules is that you have, as the game master, you have the support in the book itself, um, basically doing all of the really heavy lifting of creating a world, creating an adventure for you. Um, and then you've got the support of all, like particularly with these major published modules by Wizards of the Coast, there are so many other people who have, who have been in your exact shoes because you are running the same game. And so it's, it is a really good resource for having that safety net of, um, having somebody to ask for advice because um, that's a that's a big thing that a lot of particularly early DMs or people who are learning the system there's inevitably going to be a lot of questions and if you're just figuring it out for yourself it's really hard to figure out some of these answers on your own um, and especially like like uh, in our most recent Strahd session uh the, the players came across a situation Spoiler that was alert. well well beyond what they were able to handle and you being able to look up online and see like you said you had seen that this you had read the module a little bit ahead of time and saw this happening and you're like there's no way the players can handle this and then you went online to kind of get some guidance for that um, I think that's a that's a wonderful thing that is available whenever you're running one of these major published modules. Yeah, I really don't, I just now I'm kind of realizing this is almost like a, a love letter slash spoiler full, uh, you know, conversation that on my side, seeing that I'm running Strahd now, so much of my experience with modules is going to come from that. Anybody who hasn't played Curse of Strahd or intends to, uh, be aware there may be some spoilers in here because I do want to talk about some specifics. I know I will uh, get into some specifics where, like this last session, you know, I, I think you put a good candy coating on it, but uh, one of the drawbacks to what I have experienced is sometimes I've gotten so interested in community content that uh, it's pulled me away from the books, and uh, and we definitely stumbled into a heck of a TPK possibility that somehow I had neglected to really read through fully. And just so you guys know, I, I even went online. It was so funny is that uh, nobody even addressed it. It's like uh, there are definitely moments in, in where they were like, yeah, and this could be a TPK. Uh, that's, <laughs> and it was like, okay. I will say that uh, definitely reading ahead, finding problems, that some, something that doesn't make sense to you or like, oh, that that seems like it'll be tough for the party or I don't like how the the module is segueing between these two parts of the story. Just a quick, I mean, basically Reddit. I mean, I found such a wealth of content mainly on Reddit that uh, I, I read the Reddit forums as much or more. I definitely comb over the Reddit forums more about each individual section and chapter because, I mean, you're kind of able to do both. You're familiarizing yourself with the module itself by extension because it's talk, it's discussing what's going on. But then they're also giving you a heads up about what's to come. So, But definitely don't let yourself get too far away from just reading the module because uh, I don't know that I would have ran uh, that deadly encounter the same way had I fully grasped with the fact that, holy sh holy cow, there are six 5CR creatures in this encounter. Okay, well, here we go. It was really just the sheer number of those vampires spawn. If there was two or even three, I feel like we had a fairly decent chance i mean aside from the fact that you know two of the party got jumped immediately but you know six that's incredible i mean if we were double level that would have been a difficult encounter and maybe this is a good time to segue into some problems with modules because if you do not have the mindset i could see young dms or first time dms inexperience overall in gaming i think that even if you're an experienced dm and you're starting a new system and you're running a module, you're going to say, ooh, this looks like it's too hard. I don't know that I agree with this. But a brand new DM who just jumps right into a module, they're going to walk through it like the gospel. And not every module is created equal, and definitely not every module's fun. I mean, there are some stinkers out there. And there are some definitely some parts, especially in Fandelver, 
Um, I, overall, I like it, but I learned that maybe I should start tweaking it when we went to its climax, Wave Echo Cave, because I read that from, I read the entire portion, and by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, this sucks. Like, this dungeon <laughs> sucks. Uh, it's This dungeon's no fun. It's completely devoid of personality. It's more of what they've already been through. It's ju- It was just so grindy. And so I found myself zhuzhing up some of the NPCs and some of the some of the encounters and just get, getting rid of them all together because they were tedious, that a first-time DM might just walk right through and then their players, I don't know. I mean, they may that might be that first experience you might have to, to work, realize that you have to generate your own content. Even in a great module, even in Straw, there are just some some places you can go, some people that you meet where you're just like, wow, I really hate this character. <laughs> I really hate the way they're doing this. Uh, maybe we should do something. Maybe I should do something different. Lost Minds of Fandelver definitely felt like playing through like the the first fifteen minutes of like any Bethesda game where it's like you wake up somewhere and you learn to move around and then you learn to pick up items and then you learn to attack some basic thing and you know, like very like chunky step by step. So I guess it did what it was supposed to do, but it is definitely, you know, entry level and it shows. Definitely. It's like encountering a. It's like when you're playing an online shooter game and you run into a bot because they have to populate bots to make the servers full. It's like every now and then you you'll just encounter a situation and you can almost see its basicness just staring back at you like, oh, <laughs> geez, man, that's boring. One thing that we've kind of skirted around is like that a module can be used to um, if. If the game master doesn't have the either the time or the energy to prep for an adventure, but I feel like that kind of leads to a an idea that it, a a published module doesn't take a whole lot of prep time, and that is certainly not the case, especially for Curse of Strahd. Particularly with Curse of Strahd, I feel like you need a person would need to read through pretty much the entire adventure before they start running it just so that they can see what all is going on. Because there is a lot of stuff going on in Curse of Strahd. And even though you don't have to 100% complete, and, you know, we're, we're talking about Strahd, but I've I've looked into several of the others um, of the... Because I, mean, I think 5th edition, maybe 5th edition has just done it really well. I know that in 3rd edition, modules were the rage. I know that... If I recall, maybe you guys can correct me, Watsy made a lot of uh, Wizards of the Coast, the publishers of 3rd edition, they made a lot of modules, but I also remember that was a portion of the game they really opened up for out of, for third-party content creators. So mm-hmm. there was a there were just trillions of modules, but in 5th edition, I feel like they've kind of taken control of that a little bit more. I know there're definitely other outside people doing it, but this time around Wizards of the Coast have really stamp their name on making complete adventures for the players, putting them in hardback, putting them in the front of their marketing you know, strategy, and it paid off. So I'm sure it's true for all of them, but in, in Curse of Strahd, they may not be, it doesn't need to be done 100%, but there is something connected to every other part everywhere you go. You really, so reading, I hate to monologue here, but just in my experience, Vandelver was 60 pages, and I thought that was pretty a lot. And then, I, I mean, Curse of Strahd's over 300 pages, once you include all the the stats and the magic items and all that extra content. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I could say that I read it from cover to cover before we had session one. But um, between the online content and the book itself, I, I read, I think, I would say 75-80% of the book itself before we got into it and I had read about every part of the area online to get like you know just to get the gist and uh had I not done that or had and if someone doesn't do that it's going to make for a, a mess it's going to make for a mess if you one of the bad things about people who just make their own content one of the drawbacks to that is it's very linear and I think like you said Jordan it doesn't take long for the the world to go flat and there to be nothing on it and mm. for the D, and it really breaks that illusion of of that was it the third wall. 
Fourth wall. Fourth wall. There you go. But uh, on the other hand, if you jump into a module and you don't do your prep, you're just going to make a bunch of messes and lack of you know lack of continuity. You know, you're just gonna you're just gonna screw it up for your players, and you're gonna ruin some important aspect of the game just because you know you let this bad guy appear at the wrong time, or you encourage them to go to a place that just isn't very fun. Is there without like spoiling it, obviously, because I'm enjoying the game. But when you're reading through um, Curse of Strahd or any other modules you guys might have looked at, um, I wonder how they handle contingencies where. Uh, players don't behave in kind of the linear time scale that the that the game is sort of built to assume like what happens if somebody just decides you know okay i'm gonna go over here and fuck off for three months and you know hunt wolves in the mountains or you know whatever random thing like uh i I don't get the sense that there's like a doomsday clock thing going on in curse of strahd um, is it just a bunch of NPCs kind of waiting around for someone to walk up and press the talk button? You know, Clayton, in your experiences, you know, because once again, I'm, I'm so much of my background is just in this game, Curse of Strahd. I'm curious, I'd say you've ran more modules in general than I have. What has your experience been? I've definitely seen a shift over 20 years of um, modules being very, very linear very set and very little thought given to well what if the player characters do something else i've seen like back when i very first started there wasn't an account for that it was just assumed you were going to uh, the player characters were going to bust in take control of the situation whether that was through combat or whether that was through negotiation and then off to the next scene Um, i feel like more modern modules do have a lot better do do handle it a lot better of presenting more more presenting the modules in a way that each piece that is important can be shuffled around and um, moved to wherever it would make the most sense for that piece to be and relevant so that if the player characters decide to go and do something um, that's not in the path laid ahead of them those pieces are maneuverable enough that they can that the player characters can still interact with the pieces of the story while still feeling like they're going off in their own direction being their own independent people but i think it's there's still a lot of illusion of choice in in the way that modules are written Hmm. you know uh picking strahd was just a lark because whenever it was just that was the first module because I knew that they had made Curse of Strahd and that it was good and that Ravenloft was back in, uh, back in the D and D wheelhouse, I guess. I, I don't know if they made a fourth edition. I'm, I'm pretty sure they made a third edition version, but I, I don't, it didn't really strike me. I haven't found it. Uh, but you know, Strahd is widely considered the best that they published for fifth. And that makes sense because historically it's considered one of the best that's ever been made back to the second edition version. But uh, so they there's a lot of uh, what this has really done is it's made me want to dive into because once again, Straw's 300 pages and all of those start to finish prepackaged modules they're making are similarly large. I really want it's made me want to go and do like a compare and contrast. Uh, and see just if this is a common, if they're just doing modules really well right now for that reason, or if Strahd's an exception. Because, I mean, Strahd's so open. If, if if a player, if a group of players, you know, they get to the terrible, terribly bleak and miserable town of Barovia, and for some reason they're like, you know, this is a great place to live. I'm just going to, I think we're just going to live here forever and not really take an interest. <laughs> you can 100% do that. Like, there's no reason why a DM that's worth half a penny uh, can't manage that. There are a lot of ways. So that's one advantage that that really appealed to me with Strahd is, um, you know, the players don't have to do anything. You could go 1 to 20 and not even interact. I don't know how fun it would be, but, uh, you know, eventually you'd bump into something. But you could, I mean, if a player, if some players just decide to live in the world and not really pursue any of the storylines the DM or the module assumes they're going to uh, pursue 
I think it could still be an extremely fun world to play in. Hmm. Like if you guys came to me and said, I'd like to, I think we want like two months downtime. I mean, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Like we could totally do it. That's what I've wondered about it. Are how, uh, how on the rails are we in Strahd? Because like Clayton's running, um, he's running in an existing setting right now. He's running in Eberron, but uh, you've talked about it before, Clayton. You're this is your experiment in just sandbox, you know, player-driven kind of campaign. Um, and there we take you know two months downtime all the fucking time. Anytime we get some random idea and want to work on it. Uh, between sessions for a while we we do that like crazy but i was wondering like yeah if we just decide to post up at an inn and start working on some shit is Strahd just going to show up and eat us out of boredom or what the hell's going to happen well i mean it's that that and maybe you know me personally as a dm i think that you know i'm assuming clayton you took that upon yourself as a ch- way to challenge yourself as a dm is that am i correct to challenge myself and also because I have gotten so sick of the hurry up, hurry up, hurry up mentality that pretty much every role-playing game has in, that I've ever played in. Like you're constantly rushing from one adventure to the next, one set piece battle or one um, one piece of the plot to the next, and there's just no time to breathe between them. Your characters don't actually have lives. They just have the adventure in our Eberron game, that's what I wanted to get away from. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm running it the way I'm running it. I mean, that's what brings us to the DM seat in the first place, isn't it? I mean, we have a story idea, or maybe we, in this case, read a module you really want to play and you fall in love with the content, however you came to it. And you just want to share it with the players. So I'm a very pushy DM as you could, maybe as you've seen. And I, and I think that's a failing of mine as well. That's somewhere where I need to grow. I don't really think a lot about downtime. I don't offer it much. And at least in Fandelver, by the time you guys had expressed some downtime desire, I just really wanted to start Strahd. So I did. There was a moment where I kind of even discouraged it. But, uh, you know, in Strahd, at least, and I would imagine in any game, just in any game, it's good practice to get into as a DM to just calm down and slow down. And that's something, uh, as like you said, not spoilers, you guys can do whatever you want to do. I just think that in Strahd, what I've tried to do is play along with the content, because there are definitely some this happens stuff, you know, that, you know, okay, the players have arrived to this place. This starts the clock. You know what I mean? What the players do on the clock or with the time that ticks by is up to the players, but, you know... It, the module definitely set, uh, allows for you to say, okay, um, they've gone to play place X, these three things begin to happen. Or they enter Barovia, you need to be aware that this starts the clock on these large-scale things. But it's not so closed up that you, you know, it, that, I mean, there are some things that if the players were like, we're going to take a week off, or we're going to take two weeks off, things will have to happen in that time that will affect them in the world but those things can come and go and it, when you're generating your own content that's really hard to do because if you build your story around some overarching plot line and it's time sensitive mm-hmm. the last thing you want to hear your players say is yeah we're not really i don't really want to go there so let's just go i just want two weeks to take a breather yeah and then you panic you're like oh Fine. Okay. The zombies are going to rise and the fucking asteroids going to hit the planet and the God of death is going to rise out of hell and you guys just fucked the whole world. So I hope you like your downtime. And that's such a shitty thing to do. So you definitely have to take a breather as a DM and be like, do I really want this to happen? Maybe this just doesn't happen and hold it back for a later time. I mean, it's hard for me to speak on this with too much experience because since you guys have been in Barovia, it's only been like three days in four sessions now, five sessions in Barovia. And the last session took an astounding like six hours of in-world time start to finish, which is crazy. So it's real sweaty. I, I, I That's something that I, I definitely want to slow down a bit. So. so Elliot, one of the things that you've been doing really, really well with Curse of Strahd that um, most people who are planning on running a module should could definitely take some notes from you from is 
integrating the player characters into the story of whatever module it is because that's a that's a big criticism that i have of most most modules in the way that they are written is that they are designed to have just minimal options for the player characters to be a part of what is going on there's not really integration of who the player characters are into the setting so like in most modules it really doesn't matter what class and race i make my character to be the story is going to be the same and the story is going to play out in the same manner regardless of what options i i've chosen and i feel like with curse of strahd you went that extra mile to make uh jordan's character's background relevant to the story you um took a couple of other characters and made their presence in Barovia a very important thing that other people are taking note of. And it's, it's an important thing that, that makes the, the setting feel like it has some life to it and that our characters are a part of that life. Well, make no mistake. I, I thought about that a lot going into it. Every single one of you, whether it's been completely and i mean i've i've hooked everybody i put everybody in this world uh, i think that's important to do as in any game because once again as a dm i think in my looking back on it if i had to just make a a binary choice about it i think custom made modules fall into this has a chance to fall into this even worse at least in games i've played i definitely have played with a lot of dms who love their stories a heck of a lot more than they love their players. Oh, yeah. And, and holy crap, um, I'm a really bad for that. I mean, usually when I come to the table, it's because I really want to tell a story. But I've just learned over the years that there's nothing worse than sitting at a table and realizing I'm not the main character. Maybe slight rephrase, not so much that they love their story more than they love their players, but they definitely love their story more than they love their players' characters. <laughs> Let's drop some content in, into this jam. The players, are for a lot of DMs, are the means to an end of telling a story. Yep. And whereas I'm 100% of the camp that's like, the players need to be the story. The players need to be the focus. And um, at the end of the day, it's glad I'm glad you're running, dog, but I really don't care about your world. I care about my place in your world and how I can be a, me personally, just be a hero. I like being a hero in games, you know? And so if I feel like my presence is unnecessary, <laughs> you know, I, it's hard for me to stay involved in the game. I will care about a world if it matters that I'm there, if if it makes any difference who I am. Or, But yeah, like you were saying, if I could have made a completely different character with a completely different backstory and skill set and whatever, and it would have went pretty much the same fucking way, like, it's not hard to see through that and... It, yeah, definitely gives you the impression, like, why am I even bothering? This is some weird, like, <sighs> I don't know. This is rote. Well, and, you know, that's, I think this is a common trope that if any, you know, if anybody's listening who's maybe new in the game and really wants to up the, up their, the quality of play, if you're a DM, whether it's a homebrew or a module, uh, it doesn't matter what the content of the module says. Every single one of your players should have a vested interest and that should that should be generating new content for that reason either co-opting an npc that's pivotal and saying you know what if i can make this a pc instead that's better or if need be uh i've re- if need be just completely write in a, a a new segment of the game that makes that player's success or failure in their own individual path pivotal to the success of the game and that's the way Strahd is. Every single one of you, I had to generate. I either co-opted characters or parts of the game and just made a direct connection to you, or I've just written added content that gr- greatly hinges on the whole party's ability to succeed in, in the module. So if it hasn't been revealed to everyone, Clayton, <laughs> it will be, because every single person has a, a big stake in this game. I really don't think that's too much to ask out of a DM. Like my my opinion on this has changed um, over the years. Um, at, at one point, and, and I think 
I've seen this a lot where, you know, DMs will complain about like my players just don't want to do anything or whatever. Um, but if, if the DM's not providing a hook tailor made for each character, it, it shows that they don't give a fuck. And there's, there's a whole set of archetypal characters, um, that are specifically constructed around the idea that I don't want to be doing this thing. You know, I'm trying to rescue a loved one or, you know, some hard bitten detective that's just burnt out or, you know, some, uh, you know, totally traumatized vet doesn't want to go back to fighting anymore. You know, there's a million characters like that and they're fun to play. And unless there's something in the storyline that, forces them to come out of their comfort zone like that's the call to action you know this is like this is classic joseph campbell you know hero arc stuff and yeah if you're not providing that then you're just trying to jerk off in a bunch of people's ears i think i also want to add that the player also has some responsibility in that to provide to the game master some ideas of what those hooks could be for sure like if you're playing if you're playing one of those like a ptsd vet who just doesn't want to get into the shit again Mm -hmm. how do i as a game master provide a um a hook to you if i don't know how to hook you in if 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 i don't get hardly any backstory besides oh this shit was terrible how do i know to bring that character in And and that's where a conversation needs to happen between the player and the game master when the character is being made of okay this character is going to be really hard to get involved into this adventure that is coming up. How can we deal with that? No doubt. Yeah. And whatever that thing is, whatever that lever is that you can pull, that is the most important thing to that character. And that's one of the most interesting things about the character. So yeah, can't forget that part. I mean, I think that every DM has their strengths and their weaknesses. And so I think... It's. It, I think sometimes a player. I. I, I mean. I'm, I'm the biggest. I just. You know. Went on a big spiel about how the players ought to be taken care of by the DM. But that only. I do think that sometimes that does go a little bit far. And, and like you were saying, Clayton, it's it's important for the the players to consider their role as well. You know. It's. Uh, I know that if a player, if I have a player at the table, which thank God I can't even think the last time I did have this player, but I have in the past, who just isn't with us. You know, they're not really generating much uh, content. They're not engaging much. I don't know. I know I know a lot of people who just love the video game aspect of crunchy, crunchy, crunchy fighting stuff. Those types of players who get, get their kicks in combat and stuff like that, they can be the not very not very story-driven, not very interested in, in generating their own content. I think that once you give that player a couple hooks and you do your part as the DM, if, if either they don't bite on them or they don't really counter-propose, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? If they don't find their own way to pursue something there, it's interesting story-wise. I mean, you d- I think that sometimes you just kind of got to let that person be bored. Or maybe they're not bored. I mean, it's entirely yeah, likely true. that they're completely content to, you know, stand around being the the silent mountain of muscle that's just there to be the leg-breaking goon when it's time to break legs, and they don't really give a fuck about the plot line. And if if they don't have a problem, then I don't think there's a problem. <laughs> you know, I want to ask Clayton a question because uh, I can. I, I want to tie it into a, a pro and a con about modules. But you had mentioned in your Eberron game, you're, you've even adopted a very, you know, indulgent like magic item loot philosophy. Uh, how's that going for that game as far as magic items? Because that's something I'm thinking a lot about right now in my game. Well, right now, the players who are taking full advantage of the magic of the ability to craft magical items are definitely getting to the point where they are uh, mechanically far above the player or players who just that's not interesting to them. So that's the only real downside that I'm seeing. I think that, you know, one downfall about running the modules as they're written because obviously the creators of the modules don't know the players and they expect they leave it up to the DM to kind of make it special for the individuals. But if you don't have that mindset, the loot can and the distribution of magic items can really quickly, you know, leave people out. So I would highly suggest 
any module you run, and this didn't dawn on me until about halfway through Fandelver, was that you know if you don't take control as a DM of making sure that one person doesn't get you know run out of control with you know I mean there's always going to be that player who maybe they find the plus one sword and the plus one armor they don't share that information with the party they just don it and then lo and behold they get the cloak of invisibility that maybe the game was written should be for this uh, for the wizard but hey I'm whatever I'm a fighter I can use that too and next thing you know there's this superman walking around in the party and everybody else is still wielding their stock short swords you know I don't know who the fuck you guys are talking about <laughs> <laughs> no I mean in in my game you know in from just from Fandelver I mean you got some decent loot um and our paladin definitely lucked out finding a plus one weapon that was written into that that's really served him well but uh i even that's why at at the end of my last session i even you know compelled you guys to maybe make a short list of things i know clayton you had done that with some spells and i appreciated that because um you know i don't want a player to sit at my table who doesn't feel like they're giving the they, they have that they're missing a piece that the dm just will not give to them so it's been helpful for me because I can build those things into the story. But still, even, uh, you know, I really, uh, I, I just asked you guys if there was anything that you would like. Make me a short list of, like, your dream items you would have right now. And uh, and no promises, but wink, wink, you know? Because I want everybody to feel equally empowered to the extent that they can have fun. And, you know, I think a module running them as is could definitely lead to a an unfun component if you just let people hoard magic items and don't share the wealth since we do have a couple of players who are pretty new to D dungeons and dragons period um with the this potential new loot coming their way um definitely reach out to them and just kind of give them suggestions or or just go flip through the dungeon master's guide and just look and see what kind of just interesting magic items are there that you think that they might be able to uh use in or enjoy getting because there are in the dungeon master's guide there are some magic items that if you think about it for just a moment that's a really fun thing to have it's not going to be useful but it's definitely going to be fun oh i definitely fall down on that for sure there's a lot of stuff i think in I, i've gone all over that magic item list and in the the tiers of like common and uncommon magic items uh especially Aside from those real basic things like plus one sword, plus one armor, plus one shield, whatever, um, aside from those, everything else in that tier, I don't think any of it's particularly game-breaking, and a lot of it is like just weird utility kind of stuff that's just sort of fun to have, you know? Um, I don't think uh, any combat is ever going to get broken because somebody's got like slippers of spider climbing or you know some random shit like that like some of it's just you know neat stuff to have in case something comes up you know bag of holding for instance great item that's something that i'm coming around to another one of my biases since the beginning of my gaming is that i really have had a bad i really don't like random tables just, you know just because i've been that player who you know it came to be it came to my turn that I could tell the DM just, like, rolled on the chart for my character. Okay, well, it's Elliot's turn to get a magic item. I wonder what he's going to get. And he rolls, and it's like, uh, and, you know, say I'm a say I'm a fifth-level fighter, and they're like, cool, you've got, like, glasses of, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't even think. But I remember I got one. I got a set of glasses in a game that were, like, I don't know. They were trash. It was, like, you know, it, it kept illusions you know the dm never used illusions in the first place in the game so it like if i put them on i could tell there's illusions around so i ended up being this dorky fighter with stupid looking glasses on all the time that never showed me anything and but on the other hand you know that book can be a bit overwhelming in that way and so i i think that that's a good way to and i think that everybody should definitely have their because the best game i ever played was a game where early on i got a magic we weapon that as the game progressed it revealed more powers, and that was how the DM ran it. Was everybody had a special implement, and man, I just felt so special mm -hmm. because I had this weapon that was—I mean—and it had a backstory, and it was rooted in the, in the game world. 
And it made me feel like somebody, even though I got it at level two or something like that. But it ended up being, like, my main weapon, I mean, till the end of the campaign. But at the same time, you know, I very often am very... I don't give out the little things, usually. I don't just populate the world with a lot of cool little... Like the knickknacks you guys are talking about that add a lot of spice. I've never had a bag of holding in a game. I've never had a deck of many things. Is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. Those types of things that most people have... You know, Ring of Wishes. I mean, that's a powerful one. But most people seem to have experiences with those. And as a player and as a DM, I've just never done it. So... That's a good advice. I think those scaling magic item kind of things that you're talking about, Elliot, is a big opportunity that, for whatever reason, has just been consistently squandered over the years with Dungeons and Dragons design. It's they've. I I feel like they've tried to get away from it um, in uh, Fifth Edition. The the mindset of um, magic items as like disposable commodities that you just buy and sell and create and it's no big deal um but i you're right like getting some big quest sword you know right away and then having it grow with you instead of having to throw away the plus one sword when it's obsolete and look for the plus two and then the plus three and yada yada um yeah it's much more interesting when it becomes a part of your character so I don't remember how magic items are handled in Curse of Strahd, but um, in previous, well, I guess I don't remember, how, I'm not sure how it's handled in 5th edition period, but like in 3rd edition, you got a module and it had magic items in it. It specifically said this is like this this encounter has a plus one longsword that this particular enemy is, is wielding. Then in 4th edition... Um, it had a particular module had, okay, you, there is a, like a level six magic item here at this place. You can determine that yourself, or you can roll for it, or you can pull from, uh, the player characters, um, um, magic item wish list, which is a thing from fourth edition that I think was a really good design decision to have uh character wish lists that was part of your character, um. How is it how is it done in Curse of Strahd? How are magic items dealt out? Well, anybody who has much familiarity with Curse of Strahd, um, you know, there are there magic items play a key role in the greater storyline. Not to it not not to be too spoilery because I definitely don't want to reveal too much on this particular topic, but you know, so there but I'm sure that every module's like that. There's, you know, four or five like not only are they in the world, but they're pivotal to the game for them to be found and wielded. Found and we- weld. Weld? Wielded? Wielded? Wielded. wielded. But, 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 are they, but are there any other items besides those quest items? Yeah. Are there any other magic items that are in Curse of Strahd? Yeah, there are. And, and it's very much the third edition philosophy. Fandelver was the same. You know, just... In fact, it's it's so much so that it's almost like you can miss them as a DM because anybody, one drawback to modules, and uh, not to get too much into this again, but uh, it, they can be tedious to read in that they're structured when you go to a town, say, or a region, or uh, or a, a dungeon. Every single room is labeled on the cor- on the on the map, and each one has a description that you read to the players that de- then has more text that describes some important things the DM needs to know about the rooms or places. And it can be a bit daunting because when it gets to the treasure, you know, they usually put the treasure in the same spot. I mean, and you can totally just like miss, you know, if you're just kind of scanning and not reading it word for word, which is, can be difficult to do just from the boredom standpoint. Um, You know, there's a plus two sort of, you know, fireballs you know what i mean it's just right there in this tiny little flavor text and you're like oh really that's here uh cool uh (laughs) but that's kind of something i dislike i I would rather you know if it's something cool leave it there but definitely like i'm definitely i'm definitely of the opinion having done it now that uh you know be generous i'm i'm gonna i would rather err on the side of be generous and be like you know if i feel like it's time to to give the players an opportunity to have some better loot I would rather know something they like and give it to them or put it there or uh, 
go find it myself and make sure that it's there and it's clearly like, oh, this is clearly something that's going to make this player's experience much better. And, you know, if you need to just take something else out of the book, then fine, or just leave in everything else. But there's a lot of magic items sprinkled into Strahd for sure. So we're past an hour. Do we have any other points we want to attempt to cover or do we want to go into geek things? Well, uh, the last word, I think we've talked a lot about modules. I don't know if we've ever actually just had a would you do it, should you do it, and since I volunteered this topic, I think if I had to just pin, put a pin in it, definitely run modules, definitely turn to modules to get inspiration. Maybe not like, like you do, uh, Clayton. Pick up, you know, maybe run part of it. If you, if you need to add some content, why not just go get a side quest or a main part of your storyline from a pre-existing book? I've had so much fun uh, learning about the game. I've had so much fun adapting it. I've generated as much personal, my-made content in Strahd as I would have in my normal games. And so it just makes, I feel like it's been a really great experience. And if you were like who I was and just generally had a distaste for them, thought they were kind of lazy... Um, they don't have to be if you don't want them to be. I highly recommend uh, delving into the modules for inspiration at the very least or for, or just take one on. They're fun, and they make the game last longer. Yeah, and with all the digital resources that are available for free online, um, definitely for D&D and also for a, most of the other major systems, there are people out there who are publishing material. A lot of it, is behind a very small paywall like on um, drive through RPG or um, the DMs Guild or something like that. But then there is a lot of material out there that is free. And um, one of the things that I do with the modules is I just I just have a catalog of material that I have that I, I, I look through whenever I'm looking for inspiration. And either... I may take the entire module and use that, or I may take a piece of it and use that. And that's something I've been doing since third edition. Um, I had a subscription to Dungeon Magazine when it was a physical thing, and um, I did that all the way up through uh, fourth edition. Whenever they went to digital tools, I downloaded the Dungeon um, Adventures there. And that's still a great wealth of uh, material that I still look back on and draw from whenever I'm designing my adventures. Uh, my Thursday game is basically a series of adventures that I pulled from a fourth, from fourth edition dungeon magazine. Awesome. So Jordan, let's get on making one for Apocalyptia then. Sounds good, man. I'm down. All right. With that, let's move on to geek things. Um, Elliot, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. You know, recently I found, um, uh, the uh, Umbrella Academy, if you haven't seen it, which I know a lot of people have, I can't endorse it anymore. Uh, it's great. Uh, go back and watch season one. They just dropped season two, and I binged them both. You know, when I, when I first found it, I watched it the first season from front to back, and then they went, when I found out they were going to release the sequel season, uh, I did the same. And it's just as if you've seen the first one and haven't seen the second season, get to it. It's great. Uh, for my geek thing, um... I recently found this show on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, it's called Fortitude, and it's um, I, I kind of think of it as like a a weird sort of hybrid of like Twin Peaks and The Thing almost. Um, like it's it's less goofy than Twin Peaks, but it's that that standard story of you know a uh, small isolated town. There's a murder. Somebody comes in from outside and starts investigating and uncovering all the, the weird dramas and things that are going on. Um, but it's set on a fictional island um, somewhere in the Arctic Ocean that is supposed to be owned by Norway, but it's this multinational population of you know a few hundred people. And um, it, it gets really weird. Like it's sort of, it, it hints at supernatural things, but I'm two seasons in and i still couldn't tell you if magic is real or not in this world um there's a lot of weird shit to do with like uh ancient virus stuff you know in the permafrost and whatever um but it's it's a real good like slow burn tense horror kind of thing um very like lovecraftian feels and uh it's 
man, when it gets gory, it pulls no punches. It's like, holy fuck, I can't believe I just saw that on TV. This is fucking awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's like a BBC thing, I think, is where it came out of. Um, but, yeah, give it a look. Uh, it, it hooked me almost immediately. So, Fortitude. It's pretty sweet. And I've got two YouTube channels that um, couldn't be more dissimilar that I'm going to do as my geek things. The first one is tempo not time lapse um, they take time lapse photography of various different things um, there's a lot of things a lot of videos of different foodstuffs rotting away and i love that shit <laughs> um, they they the one that uh, caught my eye that got my attention was they took a um it looked to be like maybe 10 or 12 ounces of um, tomato juice in a glass and they did a six-month time lapse of what happens to it. So you get to watch over the course of five minutes the the six months pass of the um the like all the bacteria and fungal growth in it, and then you just see the 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 amount of liquid in it start to uh, decrease, and this this floating thing of living matter just slowly sinks down until it sucks up the last little bit of juice in the bottom of it oh my god it is so satisfying and so gross to watch that's awesome i watched a channel i watch a channel uh that does that like uh, i think they did that with beef like you know how you can like slow age or i don't know what i don't know what's called but where you just kind of vacuum seal and age beef and they just do it to extremes and then they eat it and some of it you, you're just cringing like i can't believe they're putting that in their bodies <laughs> nobody eats this shit on on time lapse or <laughs> on tempo not. not time lapse um the other youtube channel is a um it's it's stephen fitzgerald's youtube channel he does little skits that star himself um, and only himself. They're usually about 30 seconds. Some of them are a little shorter. Some, I think the longest one is like two minutes long. Um, it's hit or miss, but there are some really good hits in there. And you can watch the, like, the, like, three year backlog of this channel in an afternoon because everything is only 30, is only like 30 seconds long. Hmm. I know what I'm doing tonight. All right, guys. Well, you say we stop this bullshit and start rolling some dice. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. We'll have to have you back. Adios. This has been a production of Alien Familiar Media. You can find past episodes and more at alienfamiliar.com. You can email us at alienfamiliarmedia at gmail.com. This production is protected under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Music for this episode is Suburban Outlaw by Forget the Whale and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.